Why, hello there, nerds. I'm Ash. And I'm Nat. And you're listening to Crime Time Nerds, a sister podcast. Hello there, nerdlings. On this week's episode, Ash and I wanted to introduce our first episode in what we hope will be an ongoing series that we periodically will put together regarding the Jane and John Doe's of the United States. We just wanted to tackle some of these unsolved cases and to try and draw some attention to these, as these are many, many unnamed victims. There's countless victims throughout the United States and actually all over the world. So we really just wanted to kind of give them their dues. Today's episode, we're going to focus on some of the unnamed victims who have never been identified and their murders remain unsolved to this day. So before we get to tackling our case today, though, I did want to address one quick, quick thing from a previous episode. So in one of our earlier episodes, it was for the Oklahoma Girl Scout episode, I maybe allegedly mispronounced a name wrong. My mother, uh, Mama Nerdling, as we like to call her, clarified for me and actually called me out that I had uh, mispronounced the name of uh, one of the tent campsites. So I just wanted to correct that. I believe in the episode I said Kiowa, and it is actually pronounced Kiowa. And so I just wanted to throw that out there. And uh, as you know, I just think it's you know, it's one of those things you want to try and get most pronunciations and names right if you can. So that was on me. I should have double checked that. Just wanted to apologize and to clarify that one, that it is pronounced Kiowa, not Kiowa. And I do think it's important to get names right. So, you know, going forward, we'll definitely do better. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, we always are willing to correct any mispronunciations. So, nerdlings, if you ever catch us saying a name or town or anything, really, for that fact, um, saying them incorrectly, don't hesitate to reach out and let us know. And we will clarify in the future episode that we made the mistake. We are totally fine with doing that. And thanks goes to Mama Nerdling for correcting us on that one, as we try very hard to pronounce names and places correctly. Yeah, for sure. This is going to and and in this episode, there are some names that we did try to double check. But, you know, if you guys are from that area and we say it wrong, correct us. We I like to know. So just one of those things. Yeah. And with that being said, we also need to apologize for anyone who downloaded episodes the last two weeks and saw some issues with our audio tracks. We are so sorry about that. We had some technical difficulties. So we just wanted to thank you for your patience and let you know that we know we messed up. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, guys. Thank you so, so much. We really appreciate it. But hopefully going forward, we won't see that happen again. It was maybe some user error issues. So so thank you for bearing with us and, and continuing to listen. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So getting into our topic tonight, I wanted to mention... Before we go into our deep dive, that the United States alone has over 4,400 bodies found and listed as unidentified. The term Jane and John Doe is often given to these victims, and of those 4,400 victims' bodies found, approximately 1,000 remain unidentified after one year's time. This was the statistics listed by the Name Us National Missing and Unidentified Persons System. 
That's crazy. I, I honestly hadn't realized just how many people remain unidentified each and every year. That's so sad. Everyone everyone deserves to have a name. You, everyone deserves to be known, to be remembered, to be cherished. That That's awful. A thousand people remain unidentified every year. So it's important, in my opinion, to try and remember these types of cases so that each body that's ever found, maybe eventually they can be identified and hopefully their names attached to them so that they can be remembered and their families can actually get closure. A lot of these cases are super old, but we're seeing every day that DNA evidence has come so far. And hopefully one day soon, you know, with more and more folks doing the ancestry, you know, the ancestry testing, hopefully we can eventually get actual names and histories for all of these nameless victims. And then they can be remembered and maybe even have the crimes that happened against them solved. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with that. And with that, nerdlings, it's time to walk the paths of the unknown and discuss the unnamed victims that still remain unsolved to this day. We are going to talk about several specific cases today and hopefully draw attention to these unknown victims in order to try to keep their stories alive. All right, so our first case for the night is actually Little Lloyd Fonterloy. And this is a case of a young child found in a pond near the O'Loughlin's Stone Company in Waukesha, Wisconsin, on March 8, 1921. The young boy was estimated to be about five to seven years of age. He was actually found by a workman in that area, and it is thought that he was in the water for several months. But it was evident that he had been struck in the head with a blunt instrument, which is what is thought to have caused his death. The young boy had blonde hair, brown eyes, and was actually missing a tooth. He was dressed in a gray sweater, munsing underwear, black stockings, and a blouse with patent leather shoes. This is all very affluent type clothing from that era, so it is thought that perhaps the young boy came from a more wealthy family. I mean, I would assume with the leather, the leather shoes. Yeah, yeah, I would think so too. Because of his attire, the newspapers dubbed the young boy Little Lloyd Fonterloy after the literary tale. The Corey Putman Mike Cocker informed police that he had observed a young woman who was wearing a red sweater milling about the property on February 6th. And he did state that the woman had tears in her eyes and had asked him if he'd seen a little boy in that area. After speaking with him, the woman joined a male and peered into the quarry before they drove off. The community was in shock over the discovery, and someone put up an $1,000 reward for any information regarding the young boy's identity. A funeral home in Waukesha displayed the young boy's body for viewing in hopes that someone would come forward with his identity. Police thought that perhaps the young boy had been kidnapped from a nearby affluent home and then killed, and his body dumped in the pond when he was too difficult to contain. Little Lord Fonterloy's identity remains unknown to this day. This one's sad. I mean, they're all sad, but that one's really sad. The kids' ones get me. Yeah, they really do. And it's it's crazy that the uh, Corey Putman um, actually said he saw someone around that area. Yeah. And I almost wonder if, like, the woman there was coming back to see if whatever yeah. they had done to the boy was, like, covered up. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what I wonder, too. And 
I'd be care or the other option is that perhaps if he was a victim of a kidnapping, maybe they were trying to like the affluent family was trying to keep it quiet. And maybe the parents had been told to meet them, like to look there. And that's why I don't know. There's a couple different ways that that could go. But that's it's an interesting one. I do think he came from a, a, a more wealthy family based on what he was wearing at that time. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that as well. I'd be curious. The, the kidnapping angle would almost make sense. Yeah, or almost like um, say he got kidnapped and they said they would ha- get ransom and they're like, you mm-hmm. can't tell anybody. And that was the mother coming yeah. to look. I, I don't know. That's Yeah, that's what I was wondering too. Yeah. I've heard of this one before and it's it's sad. It's been a, a hundred years since, yeah. since this, this happened. So I don't know if they'll ever really be able to fully solve it, but it would be nice if they could give him a name. Yeah, definitely. So, speaking of that, we have got our next victim, which is the Maury County Jane Doe. On February 14th, 1975, two hunters found the remains of a human skeleton in a wooded area, which was about two miles from the Joe Brown Road off of Highway 99 East near I-65 in Maury County, Tennessee. They also discovered near her remains the bones of a puppy... Which breaks my heart. That's just awful. And they discovered a red shell blouse, flowered blue slacks, and black Italian-made wedge shoes. Forensic anthropologists were able to conclude that the remains belonged to a woman of African-American descent and that she would have been about 5'4 feet tall. She was thought to have weighed 132 pounds and had black hair. It was also thought that she was between 15 to 25 years old, which that is just so, so young, so young. And the authorities also thought that she may have been either in an, in an automobile accident or she was possibly the victim of a hit and run during that fall of 1974, which would have been about roughly six to nine months before her remains were found just based on the decomposition of her body. The remains did show evidence that she had actually had a previous rib injury and facial reconstruction was done on her remains in 2012. Police did receive one tip from a man who contacted them around that time after he saw that image that they released of the woman with the facial reconstruction uh, done. And, And the man that called in, he stated that she looked really similar to a childhood friend of his. However, the callback number he gave was invalid, and the lead has since gone cold since 2012. So if you have any information regarding the Maury County Jane Doe, please reach out to the Maury County Sheriff's Office and contact Lieutenant Jerry Williams. That is, that's pretty crazy. I can't believe they actually got a tip from somebody who said she looked similar to a childhood friend. That is interesting that when they called back, the number was invalid. It's almost like... What we see with serial killers, they want to be involved in the investigations, so they Mm. do things kind of like that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. This one's a weird one. Or it it also, the other thing I thought of was maybe somebody thought it was their childhood friend and then kind of found their friend still alive and kind of was embarrassed and didn't want to. Well, no, because the number he gave was invalid, so that wouldn't make sense. Yeah, unless he didn't want to, like, maybe he said his statement and... And didn't want to go further than that. Yeah, he didn't really want to get involved. That's possible, for sure. 
So one thing, though, that we are going to do is all of these cases do have lead detectives and contact information for any information. We're actually going to put that in our show notes. And we're also going to post the images of the victims and descriptions, if there are, are any, on our Instagram and our Facebook page, as well as on our website, just in case anyone has any information. So we will put all of that contact information in an easily accessible spot for you folks. Our next case is actually that of a John Doe who is known as the Chattanooga Birchwood John Doe. This is a more recent case, so there may be a higher chance for identification as modern DNA science has come a really, really long way. On August 29, 2006, a group of hunters found the body of what looked to be a middle-aged white male near the Chickamauga Lake in Birchwood, Tennessee. The man's body was concealed in a black plastic bag, which led police to believe that he was a victim of homicide. It looked to be that the man had been deceased for roughly two months, and he was between the ages of 40 and 55 years old. He looked to have been around 5'11 and weighed 160 to 210 pounds. The man had brown hair and what looked to be a surgical scar on his right elbow. He also had two surgical screws in his right radius. He had no upper teeth and a compressed disc in his lower back, which would have probably caused him some back pain. He wore a gray t-shirt with Tom and Jerry cartoon characters. He also wore blue jeans, light-colored socks, white sneakers, and a light-colored bandana. Currently, the DNA Doe Project was asked to assist with identifying the man back in December of 2018. Anyone with any information on this case should contact Joseph Ashburn, the detective for the Hamilton County Sheriff's Office. This one's a different one. Uh, I don't have a good theory on this one. Yeah, and it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, I know surgical screws are tiny, but mm. I wonder if there's any serial, serial numbers on them or anything to connect. Yeah, because this is a newer case, so... It, it's possible. It, it honestly is. Uh, this one's a weird one. I, I, I really don't have a good answer for that, it, especially because there's just so little information on it. Like, you you don't even know really what happened to him. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely an interesting one. And I really hope that since it is so new mm-hmm. that we can figure it out. Well, not us personally, authorities, you know. Yeah. Well, actually, the DNA Doe Project's been... Uh, in doing this research, I, I was fascinated by it. They're doing a ton, a ton of work for a lot of these missing cases and trying to help get these these folks' names. So it, it's really cool what that project does. So another one of our unidentified cases is that of the Onondaga County John Doe. On June 16, 1976, the remains of a young white male were found by three fishermen in the Oswego River in Lysander, New York. It looked as if the man had been tied and weighed down with two cinder blocks. He had also been asphyxiated and then thrown into the water. He had been in the water anywhere from two to possibly five weeks, and it could even be that he was in there longer. The cinder block for which he was tied down with was actually found to have been made by Barnes & Cone of DeWitt, New York, which was roughly about 24 miles away from where the gentleman's body had been found. And the man was 5'10", and he was described as very thin, 
weighing only 130 to 140 pounds. He also had brown hair and a very distinctive, large, thin, jagged nose. And he was found to be wearing a beige cashmere sweater, a blue turtleneck sweater, blue jeans, brown leather half boots with, with zippers down the side, and a gold chain with the Italian charms of the Mono Cornudo symbol, as well as the Cornicello bullhorn-shaped ornament. He also had a good luck charm that was from south of the border, which is like a an amusement park or an attraction tourist attraction place in South Carolina. The symbol was actually found to have been of Italian origin with the word Como meaning horn and Mono meaning hand. And that symbol is actually believed to ward off evil. And it's really popular. It's a popular amulet among descendants of Italian immigrants. That symbol, the Mono Cornudo, it's actually, it's what you think of when you, um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the, like, when you go to a metal concert or a rock concert, you know, you put your, you put the, the, the metal symbol up with your pinky finger extended outward and you're, you've got your ring and middle fingers uh, folded towards your palm. That's an interesting symbol. I don't think I've ever actually personally seen that. But you said it was pretty superstitious, right? Yeah, it actually has. I I had to look it up. I wasn't familiar with what it was until I looked up. And then I was like, oh, I know that symbol. Yeah, you know, I used to go to to rock shows before the pandemic. And that's such a symbol that I'm super familiar with. It's kind of like the, you know, it's the, the devil horns is what I always think of it as. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't know the roots of that symbol or its actual name. So I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, this this is a really, really interesting case. The cinder blocks and the tying down. I mean, we saw that in Melissa Jenkins, which was the first case yeah. we covered. It, it's interesting. I'd be curious to see see what they ever find out on this one. But I mean, it's an old one, too. But you never know. Like we said, DNA has come so far. So, yeah. Yep. And it, yeah, it was it was far, it was a a while ago, but it was in the 76, I think. He's, yeah. 76, 1976. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully it wasn't too far back that we can get more information later on. Right. I mean, look, they've just solved uh, the Golden Gate. Golden State Killer. So, yeah. And that was all based on DNA. So, it's not too late. All right, nerdlings. So, our final case for the unidentified person is that of the Beaufort County Jane Doe, who was found strangled to death on May 24th, 1995, in Yemisee, Beaufort County, South Carolina. On May 24th, 1995, the body of a deceased female was recovered from a ditch along Cotton Hall Road in Yemisee, South Carolina. She was recovered wearing only a pair of white underwear, and the victim had been murdered prior to her being transported and dumped along the roadside. The woman appeared to be between the ages of 28 and 35 years old. She was about 5'3 and weighed 118 pounds. Her hair was dyed red, but her hair would have naturally been dark brown. And she had brown eyes as well. She did have some distinguishing features like a scar on her neck from a thyroid surgery. And she also had a hysterectomy scar on her abdomen. And she had double pierced ears, which was pretty popular back in the 90s. Yeah, it was very, very popular. She also had manicured nails And it was thought that the Beaufort County Jane Doe may have been transported from a different location as she had been lying on her back for at least 12 hours after her death. 
and she was found face down. So someone more than likely moved her from the location where she was discovered. And it is thought that she was possibly of Hispanic descent and that she died of what looks to be strangulation. That's sad. That one, these are all so, so sad. Yeah, and the police clearly knew that she was murdered beforehand, so it's not mm-hmm. like... Yeah. Yeah, it's not... It, it, it makes it harder because there's no evidence even around her. So, you know, she was moved there, so they don't... I, I'm sure that's also led to to not being able to discover her identity. You know, if she was murdered elsewhere, who knows? She could have come from several from states away. It, it doesn't necessarily mean she came from even that state, which could make it 10 times harder to find out who she was. Yeah, and it's a lot harder, too, because she clearly was murdered, so you don't right. know where she came from before, so it's not like you could look at different MOs or different um, mm-hmm. murders in that area because it might not have been from South Carolina. Right. Absolutely. Uh, this is one, too. And again, this one's this one is a little bit more closer to nowadays times. It was, what, 95? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a little bit higher chance of having a, a decent DNA hit, especially with more people doing, like, the Ancestry.coms and the, what is it, 23andMe, all of those things. Uh, those, I, I'm sure that the more and more people that do that stuff or – actually, I, I don't know if they can use those for – for police uh, checking, but I think it's actually volunteer ones for a different database. But I, I learned that recently, but I always thought it was the ancestry ones, but I don't think it actually is. I could yeah. be wrong. But, uh, you, you know, with more people doing that and volunteering to 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 give their DNA over, it does give more chance of finding maybe some relatives and actually learning who she could possibly be. Yeah, definitely. And this is why this is one of the huge reasons why we do this podcast, too, so that yeah. we can get this out there. Yeah, you know, that's one of the, the, this is, I like these type of cases, the Jane and John Doak type cases, because, you know, a lot of these are old and there are, like we said, there are thousands of these. It's not like, like, you know, one or two in every location. There are thousands of people who have never been named. They've never gotten to know, have their identity known. They haven't even gotten to have their names on their tombstones. Like, that is just awful. It's an awful situation. And so, you know, if we can help like draw attention to especially some of these older ones and say, hey, you know, if you know anything, take a look or what have you putting their picture up. We're happy to do it. It, it definitely is, you know, something that we can use our platform for, too. So these are probably cases that we are going to do periodically throughout the show or throughout the series just to highlight some of these these unnamed victims. Yeah, because these people had mothers, fathers, yeah. siblings. They had family. They had people that cared about them. So definitely, someone has to be wondering. Oh yeah, could you imagine never knowing what happened to your child or or to your sister, your husband, your your brother? I I, I can't even imagine what that's like. And I think in this situation, when you know you you have somebody who's just named Jane and or John Doe it's it's just sad and they could literally you know their their siblings don't even know there's still a missing person to them it, it that's just heartbreaking to me yeah that is super heartbreaking and hopefully yeah hopefully within the years these can get solved yeah i think i think that in time we're going to see much a, a lot more come from the dna science i know that they're doing a lot of the old cases are being run through right now. So 
I am really hopeful that that they will continue to do so. One thing I had read when I was looking into this is that they actually uh, some there's some companies that that do this. They're private companies, and they will continue to run that DNA through the databases over and over again. And so even as they get more information from other donors and things for DNA, they'll actually run the the DNA of the missing person or of their Jane Doe or, Jane, or John Doe against that database continually, which I thought was really cool. Wow. Yeah, that is awesome that they keep up with that. And so this this type of science is really fascinating. I definitely found myself going through a rabbit hole. So you know, if you guys are into that kind of stuff too, I definitely recommend uh, looking into some of the stuff that's going on with, with the DNA testing right now. Yeah, definitely. And with that, nerdlings, that brings us to the end of this piece on what we hope to continue periodically, like we said, as our series on Jane and John Doe's through the United States. We hope to continue doing these and drawing attention to these victims over time as no one should be left without a name. It's important to solve many of these crimes and perhaps give some of these families closure in knowing for sure what had happened to their missing loved ones. If you or anyone knows anything about the cases we referenced today, please reach out to the appropriate authorities listed in our notes and on our website for each case. Hopefully, as DNA science grows more and more and we see more folks identified, we'll be able to give an update on these identities of each of these people who remain unnamed. Until next time, nerdlings.